Hello, and welcome to Serious Vintage. I'm Jeff Mose. I'm Nat Mose. And I'm Josh Chapel. Today, we'll be talking about bannings and vintage, what if things weren't banned in vintage, and then a discussion about summertime food and drinks. Hi, thanks for listening to the podcast. We're here with Jerry Yang. Hi, y'all. Yeah, I think as we've uh, been doing this podcast that I name drop Jerry Yang more than anyone else on this podcast. (laughs) So I'm really excited to talk to him because he's great. Um, (laughs) He's a longtime vintage player and um, he's really excited about casting Mind's Desire. And that's why he's on to talk about the new format. Man, I've seen Jerry cast some really... Cool Minds Desires. I don't know why he's excited to cast Minds it, Desires. It's my favorite is. favorite action to resolve in, in the game. Except for scooping, I suppose. I really like scooping to go to dinner. Well, usually that happens while you're casting Minds Desire. <laughs> yeah, that's so. fair, yeah. <laughs> Desire for um, 20 on the stack, scoop to eat. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're going to talk about uh, Vintage Unleashed, which is sort of the new format that uh, we have devised that's... Um, unrestricts a bunch of cards in vintage basically just raises the whole power level and uh sets a new floor for brokenness and um but before we get there we talked about it last time that there was some expectation suspicion uh anticipation that uh Luris of the dream den was getting handled in vintage uh following our last podcast and uh it handled. did and then it did again <laughs> um <laughs> So yeah, so we saw our first banning. Well, not first, but we saw a banning, which is rare, and then we saw a complete overhaul of the companion mechanic. Wait, so I knew that Loris got banned, but I did not know that they changed the companion mechanic. Like, no joke. Yesterday, how how far out of the loop I am here? <laughs> oh yeah, amazing. <laughs> that's all right. That happened yesterday. That happened yesterday. You're not that far out of the loop. Well, yeah, I think that that's that's part of what's interesting about this is um, we were talking on the last podcast about whether Luris was busted or whether it was the companion mechanic that was busted, and I think that the place where we've ended up is both. Yeah, I suppose. Like from my perspective, I got Luris cast against me at the VTSI uh, uh, several times. Um, and it was sweet. Like, from the opposing side of the board, <laughs> I've never played with that mechanic, so it was, like, pretty cool to see that happen for my opponent. That's why I play Vintage, right? Like, powerful effects that happen. Uh, was Did pretty... you lose to Luris when it was cast against you? I mean, I don't know if it actually made a difference. My sample sizes were so small. Um, I mean, I mm-hmm. did beat Resolve Luris on turn run one, and I did lose to Resolve Luris, so I don't know. It really depends, I suppose. On turn one, when it was cast against you, was it off of Black Lotus, or was there... Hell yeah. Other... I mean, that was sweet. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there sure. was like, you know, the, the, the high five through the webcam moment of like, hey, man, yeah. I got Lotus. Sweet. And then B, I have Luris. <laughs> sweet. <laughs> and oh, I have Lotus again. Yeah. <laughs> So I mean, that was pretty cool. Uh, I kind of wish I had an opportunity to do that myself, um, mm. and I never did. That's kind of interesting to me is that like I sort of feel like I missed the boat on it. It was just like yeah. passed me by. That was uh, the interesting thing for me, too, is that it was legal on Mitco, on Magic Online, for several weeks, like a month, uh, before it was printed in paper, before it became legal in paper. And so there were a lot of paper players who just didn't really get to experience it from either side. And it seemed like a very fast turnaround on the change. But I guess that's what's expected if your online play is so bad and you have more players playing there. Fair. I mean, I understand Like, if it leads yeah. to a, a lot of people having really unfun games. Sure, I get it. Right. But I suppose that's why uh, we'll talk about what we're going to talk about later. So. Right. Yeah, you just, you just, some people define fun differently. Right. And uh, so they, they banned it. Uh, they banned it... Uh, was that a couple weeks ago now? And then this past Monday, they changed the companion mechanic. So now, uh, instead of just casting your companions from your sideboard, or your single companion from the sideboard, rather, you pay three mana as a special action anytime you can play a sorcery, and you put it in your hand, and then it's just like a normal card. Like, basically, you pay three mana, living wish for a companion, 
and hmm. it ends up in your hand. Are all, all the companions creatures? All of the companions are creatures. Okay, so it is Living Wish. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So, so if you would have asked me, guess what they did to the companion <laughs> mechanic, this would not have been my top 10. Honestly, for me, like I didn't, like, I'm not going to say that I foresaw this, but after they've announced it, it feels much more in line with other mechanics that I would expect wizards to produce. Like companion mm. felt extremely powerful. And this seems like a more middle of the road. Um, they, they brought it in line they, with other expectations. Yeah. They basically made it a mechanic that I would probably see and say, Oh, that's neat. And then never expect to play a card with it. Mm-hmm. And the thing I was joking about earlier today was what would you say to storm? If you had to pay one for every copy? I mean, that's sort of like replicate and that exists, but it doesn't really see play, but I mean, that's more on the power level that I would expect for them to create. Sure. Now, like these things just wouldn't break into vintage. And obviously this was super powerful. It broke into vintage in a big way, which was unexpected. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I can see, I mean, you know, from, from wizard's perspective, this is sort of like, they want to make sure that their cards are still somewhat playable. And I think that particularly in uh, slower formats, smaller formats, standard and such that, you know, this makes it just more of a in line with where you're going to be playing these powerful effects. Like you get to draw a card, you pay three mana, you draw a card, essentially. You always know what that card's going to be. And then you, you get the the benefit of casting whatever uh, companion you choose. And I think that that makes sense and it lets the card still exist in other formats. It was also interesting to me that they did not unban Lurus with the change because I'm not sure what you do that, you know, what threshold you cross where it's like, oh, well, now we're going to unban Lurus other than like, yeah, we made this change. Now we can unban Lurus. <laughs> It's going to feel very arbitrary when they unrestrict or they unban it is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It seems like a safe time. It seems like it would be safe to reintroduce it because Luris becomes playable. I think he's probably one of the few that is still playable, but I don't think that he's very busted when essentially he costs six split over two turns. He ends up in your hand, so he can be hit in other ways, etc. Like, and I mean, this just, I think it just totally kills Lutri. Mm-hmm. Yeah, poor Lutri, right? <laughs> yeah, it's wrecked. Here's here's your neat, neat fork effect that we expect you to play alongside another spell. <laughs> By the way, <laughs> I was I was thinking about that too, though, because with Lutri, the benefit is still that you get to draw fork, right? Like you you draw that card. You don't want to play more than four forks because there's they're just not that good. <laughs> You want to have it when you need it. And this way you can always make sure you have your one copy of your duplicate spell, but you don't have extras. You know what I mean? I, I think that it doesn't hurt yeah. Lutri too much, but it's like, I don't know. You, you have to be like hardcore Lutri fan to want to do that. <laughs> That's a good point. Like, would you would you pay three colorless mana at sorcery speed to put Yogmoss Will into your hand? I mean, like if there was a companion that was Yogmoss Will? Yeah, 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 exactly. Well, like, I mean, there's got to like be a I've, line, right? You've played Grim yeah. Tutor, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, that's what I'm saying. Like, there's got to be a line. Um, so, yeah. like, basically, if it's a burning wish target, if it's a wish target, you would probably play it if it was a companion mechanic. Yeah, yeah, I mean, potentially. And I, I think that's, I, I think that's what the interesting part is: is that you know there were certainly companions that weren't going to be played in vintage, regardless. Like the yeah. their abilities were just not vintage playable. But I think you know. Uh, Lurus is still interesting. It makes it a different kind of play where you want to have it, you know, mid late game rather than like turn one Lurus uh, and then your advantage engine is online all game. You need to establish control, then find Lurus, then play Lurus, and then, you know, use the continued advantage to win the game. And similar with Lutri, where it's like you're going to use Lutri mid game to copy your big spell hopefully it's something that's reasonable to copy i mean like i don't know how you feel about copying ancestral off of this like copying <laughs> dig through time or copying time walk or something like that where it's like a it big seems spell. a lot more fair with the investment that you've put into right. it right and you know as we've talked about before fair doesn't get you very far in vintage yeah pretty much
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's interesting that the cards are still around, uh, I, but I feel like I'm far less interested in playing any of them. Yeah, they, they did this uh, the really cool flashback, you know, 20 years ago, where now you have cards that are brand new and they just don't at all do what they say. Yeah, that, that's the other thing is the the companion, the keyword mechanion um, still does, I mean, is still on the cards, but the reminder text is meaningless. Oh, now. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a hard enough game to learn as it is, right? right? So now you're learning it and it's, you know, whatever. My feeling on that is that Companion is complex enough that you're going to have to know what's going on before you're just like jumping into playing a Companion in the first place. People were talking about like, you know, what about casual and what about people who don't really like pay attention to online? They don't Um, care. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I think. Like they they can just keep on playing companion the way that it's written and they will be okay and they'll probably have a good time. Yeah, they'll never know, which is neat. It's a very weird situation. I'm looking forward to, I mean, I assume at some point they're going to unban Lurus and I, I expect they will unban it and see what happens. And if it needs to go back on the restricted list they, or go back on the banned list, they will. But I can't imagine it would at this point. Yeah, so does this change apply to all formats? I mean, the yeah. companion rules change applies to everything. Every, everything. Everything. Even even this this format. Even vintage unleashed. Is that are you implying <laughs> is, the existence yeah, of is, another format? This is my segue. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, we're going into vintage unleashed now. Um, we, I mean, we team serious. I think I was the one who was putting these lists you, together. Yeah, you. It's, it's basically like I got angry and decided to use a strikeout text on a, a vintage band and restricted list and um, do, do you want to talk about what specifically put you pushed you over on the edge on this or is there a specific thing i think that I, there, I was, like there was i remember that this all started with the restriction <laughs> of dig through time and treasure cruise oh man uh, i think it might have started there but i feel like your tipping point was when they hit what was it karn and yeah. Oh, like Teferi Narset? No, sorry, Narset? Yeah. To, yeah, they, they, they restricted like four cards that I can't even remember right now, but it seemed like it was a, a haircut for the whole format. Yeah, the big thing for me was that they restricted Mystic Forge after a month. And I think that really yeah. annoys it really annoys me that cards get restricted that quickly. And I, I I've I never just, played with Mystic Forge. Yeah, exactly. And 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 if you think about it, like Monastery Mentor seems way better and was around for two and a half years. Yeah. So I, it's not, I, I realize that there are people, you know, there are players who want different things out of different formats. And like the vintage format currently is just not something that I'm interested in playing that much. It feels very samey. It feels like it's been the same for a while uh, I mean, I think anytime there's a change, it goes back to being like Xerox decks and then some other stuff. And it's usually like Xerox and a shops deck or Xerox. And now it's sort of the um, survival of the fittest decks with hollow one or just hollow one. And then dredge is always around and sometimes there's a combo deck, but it's like, it's, it's felt, always felt like we're, we're always going back to playing like preordains or before that ponders or before that brainstorms and yeah my thinking on putting the vintage unleashed list together the restricted list for that format together was just that if you raise the floor of broken interactions in the format you you sort of take the entire format up with you like i think if you um if you unrestrict a bunch of cards basically everything means more and you can't put everything into one deck it's not like you can play channel plus dig through time plus lodestone golem like there's there's still a shops deck there's still a a big blue deck there's still a a bunch of combo decks that are explosive and i don't know that just seems more interesting and fun to me than playing against preordains again same z's yeah yeah do you want to talk about what your ux list looks like oh i suppose i should have that up so i can read it (laughs) hold on Hold on a second. 
Well, while he's pulling that up, here's what I would say is uh, I did not feel the same way about vintage being samesies that Nat was expressing until two weeks ago. So we have a, uh, a league that we're playing with a bunch of Team Serious members, which is like actual vintage the way it is. Um, and at the same time, I was uh, putting together deck lists for Unleashed. And so Jake and I, another Team Serious member, we were playtesting Unleashed. And we were just like sort of absorbed in playing these Unleashed decks. And in the middle of it, realized we were also paired up in the uh, Vintage uh, League. Oh. So we decided to switch to playing Vintage um, instead of Unleashed. Uh, and so it was a drastic moment of, okay, we just played Unleashed for like uh, seven to ten games. And then we played a three-game match of Vintage. By the middle, by like turn four or five of like game two, we were both like, man, we kind of, I kind of wish this game was over. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, we're both of us were playing basically the same deck. We were doing the, basically the same things because the, the decks felt so anemic compared to the Unleashed decks that we were just sort of like oh. grinding each other out and draw go until we could, you know, battle again. Um, and it was very, very. Uh, anemic is the best word I can put it. Like, very slow, slow and low powered compared to what I used to remember in terms of like playing vintage in like the early two thousands. Mm. Yeah, I feel like it's pretty important to establish that you have been playing vintage for a long time and have like when did you start? Nineteen ninety four. Yeah, like you've been a part of this for pretty much ever. Like you pulled your Alpha Lotus out of a pack, right? No, actually, the Alpha Lotus story is a shoebox from some kid oh. for $50, and it happened to have an Alpha Lotus in it. Good gravy. Yeah. Handy. That was, that was, much, that was many, many years ago. That was many years ago. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it's, it's, we think about that now, and it's like, well, I just ripped this kid off terribly. But I'm sure back then it was like, well, I got lucky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there were there definitely were not any shivan dragons in that shoebox. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> um, so I have the, I have the list uh, for vintage unleashed. The cards that I've left on the list are sort of I left the power nine because it's the power nine. It's pretty much tradition. Otherwise, like I would think like Mox Pearl could come off. Who knows? Um, <laughs> the the <laughs> The other things that I uh, left restricted were tutors because my th- my thinking was that for all the other cards that are unrestricted, if they have unique effects like channel or like flash, uh, I didn't want it to be too easy for a deck to find that now that it's unrestricted. Like if you want to find channel, uh, you can tutor for it. Your tutors are restricted or you can draw into it. You can't have all the tutors to find all the channels. You know what I mean? So I left most of the tutors restricted unless they were bad um and then i left uh the unrestrained draw sevens unrestricted so wheel of fortune is still restricted along with time twister and then powerful mana any fast mana because sort of going along with the power nine so talarian academy is still restricted soul ring mana crypt so the the complete list is uh ancestral recall black lotus demonic consultation demonic tutor imperial seal lion's eye diamond mana crypt mana vault Merchant Scroll, Mox Emerald, Mox Jet, Mox Pearl, Mox Ruby, Mox Sapphire, Mystical Tutor, Soul Ring, Time Walk, Time Twister, Talarian Academy, Vampiric Tutor, and Wheel of Fortune. And anything else that was on the Vintage Restricted list is unrestricted. Lurus is unbanned, and Scheherazade is unbanned. The only cards that are still banned are the uh, 25 Conspiracies, the nine cards that refer to playing with Anti, and uh, the dexterity cards, Chaos Orb and Falling Star. And I think those are mostly for convenience. And that way, there's a reason to play old school that's beyond, like, I like nostalgia. It's like, you <laughs> can play with the dexterity cards. So, I mean, you can play with uh, four channels. Uh, obviously, the you can play with four balance. The shops deck gets to strip mine and Trinisphere. Uh, four tinkers. You can play all of the best draw engine and vintage uh, in basically any numbers. Uh, Yogmoth's Will is sort of an interesting one because I think when people were talking about that, 
being on the restricted list, they were saying, well, how many would you play? Is, is it even four? And I don't know, maybe. Uh, Necropotence, Monastery Mentor. Mine's Desire, yo. Yeah, Mine's Desire. Uh, and the other the <laughs> other thing that unrestricting these cards does uh, is makes it so that you have to take them into consideration when you're deck building. So for example, currently in regular Vintage, you're not going to have many, if any, specific cards for Monastery Mentor. Uh, you might have a creature removal spell, but it might not deal uh, deal properly with a creature that also you know grows in size. Like your lightning bolt might not work on monastery mentor because they might play sp- play two spells in response. But when monastery mentor was unrestricted, you know people were playing against it and you know playing things that uh, what's the thing that destroys all white creatures? <laughs> Is that extinction or something? Not extinction. Yeah, sudden sudden shock. Virtues ruin. Sudden shock. Yeah, uh, sudden shock. Virtues ruin. Right. You would say, I know that I need to beat Monastery Mentor. How am I going to do that? And if you lost a Monastery Mentor, it was kind of like, you know, at least you were prepared for it. It wasn't. Same thing a, with the Lodestone Go- Golem era. Yeah. Right. Same thing with Lodestone Golem. Similar thing with Trinisphere. Like if you, uh, you know, if you go back and read about the Trinisphere era of vintage, like, you know, there were very specific things you could do to combat Trinisphere, and sometimes you just lost to it. And like, um, that's, I think, that's preferable to me to now if your opponent has their one Trinisphere and you lose to it because you weren't paying extra mana or you, you know, weren't able to break parity with Wasteland or whatever. Yeah, it's super irritating. I, I think that's that's really annoying. <laughs> so. The idea is just like all of these are fair game and you you kind of either deal with them or sometimes you just plan on losing to them. I mean, I've definitely played decks where I plan on losing to Dredge and, you know, in this format, I think you sometimes plan on I'm going to lose to Trinosphere. Dredge. You know? Yeah, or yeah, or Dredge. Uh, so Jerry, you've, you've been sort of playing around with this. What have you um, come up with? Anything good? Uh, I have... Currently, 16 quote-unquote Finnish decks, not the ones from Finland, but the ones that are, I think, done. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, they, they basically break down into the, the same archetypes that you were talking about, like the uh, prison decks, the aggro decks, the combo decks, the control decks. Um, sure. The interesting things to note are that the combo decks aren't as good as you think they would be. Um, I thought that, like, looking at Channel, for instance... We've often joked about unrestricting channel, and it's actually not that good. <laughs> sure. The problem is, is that you play channel. Whatever card you play with channel, um, unless it's Emrakul, like you have to protect. Mm-hmm. And those all cost cards in your hand, and the opposing deck gets, you know, the same number of cards in their hand. So, like, force of negation is an issue. Uh, a lot of the control decks that I've built start with four force of will, four force of negation, four mental misstep. And it is quite difficult to play around those, especially mm. when you're a turn one combo deck and you're trying to resolve Lich's Mirror or Goblin Charbelcher. Sure. And then if you up the requirements from like, let's say seven mana for Belcher or two mana for Channel plus Belcher plus Veil of Summer and another green... Um, like those requirements become much more difficult to match. Yeah, it gets harder and harder to put a, a work a working hand together against any kind of disruption. I mean, you're still a glass cannon. Yeah, exactly. And and that's the thing is that like I thought, oh man, these glass cannon decks are going to be so consistent and so fast that they're going to be like a real bear to play against. But they're actually not because they mulligan a lot, even sure. with the London mulligan, and they uh, still need to assemble those cards. Um, it does take a little bit of learning to know that, like, hey, I need to have one or more counters in my hand, and this is the correct card to counter, but that seems like a skill thing, and that seems fine to me. Sure. Um, another thing is that the workshop decks are incredibly good. Um, <laughs> Trinisphere is not the card that I was concerned about, only in that traditionally the Trinisphere decks never had early threats. But right. now they have Trinisphere followed by Lodestone Gold. And that is like very consistent, and you need a counter. The the nice thing is that force of negation is actually in the format now, <laughs> right. um, and I I don't think I won a single game with a workshop deck versus an eight four deck for a long time. 
like that that took mm. a long time for me to actually get enough games into where like the variants hit mm, i see so it's not that you were uh playing incorrectly or tactically or strategically wrong it was just you had bad luck well and i i mean you know i can't say that like i'm probably playing wrong but no, if fair. i'm playing wrong from both sides of the table <laughs> it's a wash sure. yeah yeah <laughs> But yeah, like, uh, for example, like, so the Workshop Prison deck uh, that I, like, I'm enamored with right now has, like, four Lodestone Golem, four Trinisphere, four Chalice, four Tangle Wire, uh, eight additional Spheres, Strip Mine, and Wasteland as, as a four ofs each. Mm-hmm. And the, the big thing that comes in trying to build any of these decks is that you start building your deck and you realize you're at 80 cards and you've got all the cards you want. Yeah, um, <laughs> which means you add Yorian, and then you're good to go. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Brilliant. Except you have to pay three extra mana for Yorian, so. <laughs> um, but no, like, so so then it's a matter of, like, well, trimming even more. Like, okay, well, which yeah. of these, like, super powerful cards do I cut? And so it ends up being, like, well, okay, the, the second Trinisphere isn't as good as the first Trinisphere, so maybe I'm not playing four Trinisphere. <laughs> right. Four Lodestone Golems, almost always correct. Do yeah. you play Wasteland if you have four Strip Mine? You know, stuff like that. Um, sure. So then you have all these different considerations to bring into play. And then I will say that, like, it really does expose a lot of new cards that are extremely powerful. For example, Lavinia is really good in the format. I bet. Uh, apparently, Vintage really likes things that cost zero. <laughs> Yeah, well, and cheating out anything. So it's like if, yeah. you, if you don't have the lands to pay for your spells, then Lavinia is even Yeah, better. yeah. Yeah, so like I have a like really generic like Cavern of Souls Lavinia deck that hmm. basically has Cavern of Souls and Aether Vial to cheat Lavinia into play. Sure. And it is probably one of the best performing decks. I think it's really funny that you unrestrict everything and that's a contender because it seems like the most straightforward fishy kind of deck and yeah totally is yeah in 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 a a space with so much power it still competes yeah and i would say that like so like the two big big decks are flash and gush and they're very very good are those separate decks because i I was talking to brassman the other night and he was saying that his his experience with flash is that it was just not good with gush yeah they're two different in in vintage i'm not talking about this just like in the past with flash and vintage was just not playable with gush yeah exactly uh is that okay. like flash without gush and then gush with just gushy cards yeah um, you're just playing the best draw engine in vintage yeah yeah query exactly. and dryad uh sprite dragon is uh like query and dryad but way better because it pitches for so well yeah right <laughs> But the Sprite Dragon, Dragon, a new card in Ikoria. Yeah, like. yeah it was very, very good. Uh, and yeah, someone heard. tell me what Sprite Dragon is? I've never heard of it. I'm assuming it's a blue Quirion Dryad. It is. It's blue, red, flying, haste, 1 1. Haste is important. Yeah. Um, and whenever you cast a non creature spell, you get plus 1 plus 1 permanently. It's a plus 1 plus so 1 counter. Better Quirion Dryad. <laughs> Flies, yeah, it has it's... haste, it's blue. Very good. Yeah. And the fact that it has haste is huge. Um, yeah, sure. pitches pitches to pyrokinesis too, right? Hell oh, yeah, savage! Mm-hmm. Pyrokinesis killing your opposing sprite dragons. Um, I would say that Flash is very good, uh, only in that Flash can win on the opposing turn um, oh, without sure. force of negation back to to counter it. Mm. Oh, I see. So being able to win uh, when your opponent can't use force of negation because it's their yeah. turn. I, I, I don't know. There's definitely been games where like uh, my opponent never drew force of negation or sorry force of will but did draw force of negation right and flashing on their their upkeep wins the game sure and then on the flip side the gush deck is just so darn good it's so consistent like because fast bond is often a turn one turn two play and then that's that's usually it right because fast bond is unrestricted like well and fast bond is unrestricted in regular vintage too but it is here and uh you know being able to have that uh consistency alongside unrestricted gush is is very powerful yeah especially with um for mental misstep right so like you have mental missteps to fight the opposing fast bond but then you have mental missteps to fight the opposing mental misstep so like it goes back and forth that usually brings the light that the iteration number two or three usually ends up dropping a lot of those spells and adding in veil of summer oh sure uh, because veil of summer another new card is very good at protecting all of your spells mm-hmm 
So that makes it very good. Uh, and then like a bunch of newer cards are just really impactful. Narset is very good. Teferi is very good. Surprise. Um, yeah. The Mystic Forge decks are uh, uh, very impressive. The Karn decks are great creator are very impressive. Uh, they're all like fun in my opinion. Like they all happen around turn two or turn three. Yeah. Um, usually it's like turn one to set up, turn two or turn three. And then there's like a, this this big clash where you uh, try to see if the other person has it. Um, yeah. And then and then you you keep going usually. Yeah. Uh, the only exception to that I would say is uh, a deck like uh, Lich's Mirror or Belcher or like Mind's Desire where like you need to build up the hand rather than have the the singleton card. Mm-hmm. And then the last thing I would say is that like a couple blue bombs that stuck out that I didn't think were. I mean, I knew we were good, but I didn't think we were, like, that good would be Dig Through Time. I've been noticing that I've been cutting things like... Dig Through Time is very strong. (laughs) Very good. Dig Through Time was better than Treasure Cruise when Treasure Cruise was unrestricted. Hell yeah. Like, I would play Dig Through Time before I would play Mental Misstep, before I would play Ponder, before I would play Jataxian Probe. Like, a bunch of free spells are not nearly as good as first Dig Through Time. It's crazy. Yeah, first, I mean, Dig Through Time is basically, like two demonic tutors at instant speed for two blue mana. <laughs> like it's, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's very strong. And I, I keep thinking back to when treasure cruise and dig through time were both unrestricted. And like, I was playing dig through time and everyone else was playing treasure cruise. And it was just like, I think you're all doing it wrong. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And then the other thing, is that I would... really what this is all about, Nat. Yeah. That's why I said, <laughs> this, is, this, this is where this started. They restricted those cards and Nat's like, I'm going to figure this out. <laughs> I wanted to play. I wanted to play Dig Through Time, and I wanted to play Channel, and so I did. I made a format so I could do that. They're great. the The one deck I haven't built yet is the Channel Emrakul deck. I've built the Channel Belcher deck and the Channel Liches Mirror deck. I think those are the same deck, aren't they? They're basically the same deck. The Tinker deck is fun, but not broken. Bolus's Citadel is hands down the best Tinker Still target. The best Tinker target, yeah. Um, and I haven't built any Oath decks, uh, yet. Yeah, it's funny. Oath, like there's a few decks that haven't really benefited, that don't really benefit from the changes to the restricted list. I think Oath is one of them. I mean, like you can play a draw engine around it, but it's hard to fit all of the cards that you want to play in your draw engine around your Oath deck. And um, like Dredge doesn't really get anything out of this. The one key difference with Dredge is that it is, I would say, at least a turn faster because of the four Golgari Grave Troll. Mm. Um. But also all the other representative decks are, are about a turn faster. <laughs> right. Well, and it's I mean, like in your dredge deck, you can still play I mean you can you can make room in your dredge deck for counter spells. You can play a blue blue dredge deck. Uh the one thing I'll say is that uh when I first put a restricted list together for this format, I did not have Lion's Eye Diamond on it. And I restricted Lion's Eye Diamond when Luris was so good. Uh so that I could unrestrict Luris or keep keep Luris unrestricted and I think I would look at unrestricting Lion's Eye Diamond soon I, I mean I think if if we want Dredge to be an interesting contender uh I think we can unrestrict Lion's Eye Diamond and do that too yeah I think I don't like my gut tells me that Lion's Eye Diamond is fine mm-hmm. but that comes as the person who wants to resolve Mind's Desire so yeah I feel like it's, as you say, fine. I think it adds to, I think it makes Luris more interesting because you sort of have five ways to capitalize on Luris. I think it makes actually the other companions more interesting as well for the same reason. And then I think it's cool that you could potentially play like Burning Long. I mean, I currently oh, yeah. without Lion's Eye Diamond, you can't really. I mean, you can, but you're probably going to play some other combo deck. And I think adding Burning Long back into this as a uh, historical archetype is potentially interesting. So I'm... For sure. Yeah. I think... Uh, so we're um, planning on having an event for this in the uh, TSI or the Team Series Virtual Realm, which is where we had the uh, vintage tournament a couple weeks ago. We're having a middle school tournament this weekend, though by the time you hear this podcast... That will be passed. But we are having a uh, Vintage Unleashed event online played uh, using paper or cockatrice or whatever you can remotely. Uh, and that will be July 11th. And I think the 
restricted list that we sort of have left or have have listed here and uh, is listed in various other places. I think that restricted list is pretty much going to stay, or it's definitely going to stay for that event. And then after that event, we'll look at uh, making changes to it. So who knows, even more things might get unrestricted. Yeah, because you guys have just been playing pickup games, right? There hasn't been any tournament. Was there another tournament that someone else ran that was the same restricted list? No, this this has just been pickup games. But we've had fun and interested parties get into this and start playing it. And I think I think it's more interesting than people think at first. Um I mean, we have posted this in a few places, like on the Mana Drain and things like that. People have uh, sort of spat out the first thing that comes to mind, where it's you know, oh, I can, you know, I can play unrestricted channel and Belcher and have the um, have the London Mulligan, and this is insane. Obviously, that's what I'm going to do, and yeah, or I'm going it. to, yeah, I'm, yeah, exactly. I'm going to play Flash, and I'm going to play all the tutors, and I'm going to play Brainstorms and everything around it, and from my experience from what i've seen like those just don't succeed like they're just not the good decks they're fine you can play them and they're fun but like as i challenged on the mana drain if you think you have the killer deck for this format please play it like you know i would relish the opportunity to (laughs) shut something down but um I, I just don't think that that's going to happen. Like, I think everything, like I said, everything just sort of balances out when you get to the top. And it's it's, it's a different way to play with potentially more cards available than even Vintage has now. Yeah, I, mean, I definitely like it uh, because of the, what I call the skill mitigation factor, right? Like, I'm not very <laughs> good at playing, like, well. So I can mess around and, like, forget to let stuff happen and then top deck something and be like yay i'm back into this game (laughs) yeah right well and it's i mean the sort of uh potential for fast broken openings is like you know that's still there and you you can still take advantage of that and that's still a big skill uh skill mitigator as you say where it's like oh yeah i i don't know how to play against other decks but i know how to play my deck and i'm gonna do that and i'm gonna do it okay and just to confirm jerry's point i mean at at one point in the past he cast a turn one tinker against me and got a white seal colossus maybe even a dark seal colossus and he lost that game because he forgot to block over 10 turns to a mishra's factory i did i did lose after resolving tinker to a mishra's factory how did you forget to do that? I've also died to a Mistress Factory when I had Active Walder and my opponent had an artifact in his graveyard. Nice. So this is why I play Vintage. I remember one time <laughs> I was playing against you and you boarded out all of your creatures playing Oath. Hey, man, we all make mistakes, okay? Yeah, man, I'm we... so glad we have this guy on our podcast. <laughs> he's, I mean, he's, he's really exemplifying um, the kind of the kind of magic that we like to play. And that's important. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just want to have fun. It's always good to have him here. Right, exactly. This is all about having fun. Play the, play the you know, Insano cards you want to play and uh, enjoy Vintage Unleashed. And I will add that people have been playing this on um, Magic Online. Like you, you can play in the casual rooms. You just build the format and do what you want with it. So rather than playing in a Vintage uh, event, you can just play this casually online. Yeah, you know, I play on uh, Cockatrice, and I've been playing pickup games there, and it's been great. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I think I think people are starting to pick it up. I, I kind of expect this to get some traction. I don't know that it'll last forever, but I think it's pretty fun. Um, if you're interested in reading more about the format, uh, Joe Dyer uh, wrote an article about it on mtggoldfish.com. Search for the title, Vintage 101, Vintage Unleashed, and... Uh, you can find it there. He has some uh, perspective deck lists, but there's plenty more out there that hasn't really been explored and that aren't listed here. And, you know, feel free to go off the grid and play something interesting uh, that's not uh, not here. Yeah, it actually seems like a, a format that would be great fun in uh, the future, whenever that is. And we're allowed to kind of like gather at a group and it would be a great in-person uh, TSI format. Yeah, I think so too. And then, oh, uh, the other thing I should mention is that uh, we have been playing this with um, uh, five game matches. Yes, it's huge. Yeah, well, it makes a big difference because if you know if broken things are going to happen, a your games are going to be shorter, so you have more time, and b uh, it just helps you 
it helps your sideboard and stuff mean a little bit more. So um, have you been doing uh, the first two games are uh, not sideboarded? Uh, I've played both both ways. Okay. Um, I personally don't perceive a difference. Um, okay. But I can imagine that mattering to some folks. I don't particularly care either way. I like best of five, only in that uh, variance matters much more in this format. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, the games are so over too. so quickly. It's it's fun. Well, and, and some of them aren't too, right? I mean, like I mean, they're some of them are over in the sense that no one's actually playing Magic anymore, but they're not. The games themselves <laughs> aren't ended. But um, the uh, yeah, the, the rules that we have uh, laid out are best of five, and you use a sideboard for games three, four, and five. So your your first two games are unsideboarded. Uh, the idea behind that being that if you are playing a you know fragile combo deck you'll get a game on the play against your opponent before they have sideboarded against you. Yeah, I mean, I have, I personally have been on both sides of that where I've been playing the Glass Cannon deck or playing against it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just 100% not scary, but that's me. Like, if they have it on turn one, I probably have one of my eight Force of Wills. <laughs> right. So. Well, and that's, the, yeah, part of it is just that there's there's enough free counters in the format now that you can do all this. I mean, you can play your eight force of, you know, force of will, force of negation. You can play mind break trap. You can play mental misstep. Like you're not, uh, you're not unprotected on your turn zero, essentially. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the uh, best of five. I mean, it's, you know, occasionally watching like really good magic players at like big events where they do best of five in the top eight is like very interesting because, it's just it's you know it it kind of smooths out the uh variance like jerry said yeah i i I think so too and i um i've been sort of planning when i run this event online that we'll have slightly longer matches we'll probably do an hour instead of 50 minutes just to uh give some extra room but you know i think that the matches still end within (laughs) regulation time most of the time so very much so yeah yeah unless i suppose it could be too like workshop prison decks with only Mishra's factories as win conditions. Okay. Those might take a while. I mean, <laughs> in, in those kinds of situations, if you are behind and are going to lose, you should scoop, but whatever. As long as we don't have untimed matches with Tuan playing, we'll be fine. Right. Right. We're not doing <laughs> untimed matches. I really, uh, I've been interested in this format. I'm interested to see where it goes. I think, I think it has a lot more life than um, people kind of expect. Like I said, there's there's a lot of people who, when they see the vastly shortened restricted list compared to vintage, they're like, oh, well, this format's unplayably insane. And I, that's just not the case. Like, you can play your insane deck against another insane deck and have fun matches. So Yeah. One of the things I wanted to, I forgot to mention earlier when we talked about Luris, was that the companions uh, have very little impact on this format, um, yeah. even before the bannings and the the errata, right? Because um, you just have better things to do with your turns. Yeah, and that's like I said, that's why I would consider unrestricting Lion's Eye Diamond. Like if if Lion's Eye Diamond brings Luris into the format and Burning Long and makes Dredge a little bit better, like that seems cool. Like that's that's worth doing. But, uh, you know, we're all still stuck in the dark times. Um, there's a quarantine going on. Now there are uh, riots. Yeah. Uh, what is it? Oh, protests, rather. What What do you do for fun to, <laughs> in these in these times <laughs> when you can't get together with your friends and uh, might uh, might be not going out to eat as much? And, you know, what do you, how do you... How do you survive? That's, that's a great segue. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I've been doing is I've been doing curbside pickup for my grocery store. Mm-hmm. And I eat a lot of really crappy food nowadays. On purpose. On purpose. Like frozen burritos, hot dogs, chips and dip. Because it's getting hotter out. 
Uh, I've been getting like stuff like watermelon, grapes, lots of fruits. I'm glad that we've spent 40 episodes hyping up Jerry's uh, palate. (laughs) I mean, I I think drop this one on us. (laughs) (laughs) I figure at some point we'll have him on uh, about like Gen Con or something and we can talk about like good food. (laughs) Yeah, October weekend 2023, we can can do a food episode. But but talking about like, hey, here's all these cool food places you can go to when none of us can actually go anywhere seems really crappy. I will say that like it's it's key for me to have a, like a balanced pantry is basically what what I would say. Like a lot of uh, foods benefit from making sure you add a very specific flavor profiles. Um, so in specific. If you have something like cilantro and peanuts, like we were talking about earlier, right? Yeah. If you have cilantro and peanuts, you want to add sugar and you want to add an acid, preferably like a citrus or like a vinegar, but whatever. And like those kind of additional flavors will round it out and make it taste better. So like your, for example, the um, frozen burrito benefits from cilantro and some, a squirt of like lime juice. Uh, and something maybe even more acidic, like, I don't know, Tabasco sauce or whatever. Um, but like rounding those things out is great. Like now that I moved back to Cleveland, I have hot dogs with stadium mustard because stadium mustard is not a thing outside of Cleveland. Right. And those are delicious. So I don't know. Um, I think you can still have good food when you're at home and eating really crappy food. <laughs> I, I do think it was in, it was interesting. I, I read somewhere someone said something about like, uh, you know, when this all started, all, every person was kind of like thrust into their own personal episode of Chopped, where you're just yeah. kind of <laughs> things in your pantry and like you get to figure it out. Yeah, and then everyone suddenly became bakers. Like it just suddenly became, oh, here's my sourdough starter. <laughs> There's so many people who are naming their sourdough starters and like doing a lot of baking. They're baking different things. They're like canning foods and stuff like that. Like there's just, there's a bunch of, um, it's, it's very, uh, 1870s. If we need to have a quarantine food episode, I, I think that Jake Hilty needs to be on it. Hell yeah. Like that oh, yeah, dude that. cooking everything. Yeah. Right. Hell yeah. I, I keep waiting for Jake to post like his fermented kimchi or something because he's like going to do the most complicated thing ever. And it's going to be amazing. Well, it's interesting. You talk about like the, the, the uh, pantry cooking where it's like you take a very stock item and sort of soup it up to meet your expectations. So you take a, a frozen burrito and modify it so that it's better. And yeah. we've been doing sort of the same thing. Like Elizabeth and I have plenty of ramen on hand which we eat kind of like once a week for lunch, maybe, maybe sometimes twice a week. Maybe Is it like the Nissin or Marichan ramen? It's the good one that you recommended. Oh man, the Shin ramen the, the, or the Udon? Not the black. Shin black? Oh man, I need, I need some ramen recommendations. What's the recommendation here? Okay. So, okay. So do you want like approachable ramen or do you want uh, hard to find ramen? Uh, let's go for approachable. Yeah. Uh, sh- you know who you're Black. talking to? <laughs> Shin Black. Okay. Is made by a company called Nong Shim, N-O-N-G-S-H-I-M. Shin Black has one of the best uh, instant tonkatsu broths I've ever had. <laughs> tonkatsu is a type of Japanese broth that's basically simmered pork bones. Um, and there, the shin black pork, uh, bone broth is tastes like it was made from pork bones. Uh, the noodles are pretty good. They're still fried. So that's the downside. I highly recommend adding fresh vegetables to it, uh, especially yeah. a dark green, like kale or spinach. I would add, if you have it, bean sprouts, although those are hard to keep fresh and, you know, good on hand. I would add a boiled egg into there. You can boil an egg while it's cooking in there and it'll be fine. Um, And I would highly recommend some kind of protein. Take your pick, use leftovers, cook some fresh protein up, whatever. Just toss that thing in there. It's delicious. Yeah, that's that's sort of what we've been doing. Um, uh, We have ramen that we use and I usually put, uh, chop some carrots and put that in there and broccoli. 
sometimes corn and or peas and definitely yeah. poach eggs on top of it. You know, corn and peas is like very Japanese of you. Thank you. <laughs> but yeah, we poach, poach eggs on top of it. We usually don't add another protein beyond that, but putting in four eggs at the time. So. Oh man. Yeah. No, I add, uh, personally, I add a lot of frozen shrimp and kielbasa. Kielbasa mm. uh, sounds uh, good. Yeah. I, I mean, as far as approachability, this, this is available at like every grocery store, right? Like, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We, we definitely just keep it on hand and like we'll add whatever we have to. And I would say you could do that with pretty much every instant ramen. The base broth just gets better and less salty. Right. Uh, if you want yep. to go crazy, I would recommend Nissin Rao, N-I-S-S-I-N. Uh, Rao is R-A-O-H. That's like the high-end, hard-to-find instant ramen. Um, you can usually get it on Amazon. It is oh. air-dried, not fried. It looks fancy. It is quite fancy. You have to spend extra for that. I mean, I definitely want the fried taste. Yeah. <laughs> well, then then eat, eat what you want. You like the... The best fried noodle, by the way, is not a ramen with broth, but it's uh, an instant stir-fried Indonesian thing called mi goreng, M-I, and then a different word, G-O-R-E-N-G. Uh, mi goreng is super addictive. Uh, That's that the is... stuff that we have. Sorry. Oh, my god. ramen, I have mi goreng. <laughs> oh, man. Mi goreng. Uh, I have a case of that on hand yeah. 24-7, 365. When I lived out of the van, Migorang's in the van. That's that's our usual um, ramen buy now. Cause, oh yeah, yeah. So that's the, the, oh, that, yeah, is, that's yeah. not at a grocery store. You have to go to. Uh, uh, we can get like it at the grocery store. You, get oh, you grocery can get it at the grocery store. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, I I would highly caution you from getting addicted to Migorang. It is so good. It's it's very good. I mean, thankfully, I, I don't have an addictive personality. Otherwise, I would have had alcohol problems years ago. <laughs> so, yeah. it's um, you were talking about hot dogs too. Uh, we've, um, I like hot dogs a lot. Elizabeth is afraid of them because um, they're unhealthy. Yeah, um, sure. That's why they're good. But right, exactly. And, and so, every once in a while, I get hot dogs, and we we will have a couple meals of hot dogs over a few weeks. And, how do you dress that's them up? Okay, that's an okay rate for her. But I um, really like uh, hot dogs with uh, sriracha and pepper jack cheese. Yeah. I just I just like them spicy. That's good. I think sriracha on hot dogs is really good anyway. So. Oh, yeah. Uh, sriracha plus lots of things, right? Savory I don't and use salty sriracha on sriracha. everything. But like what? sriracha on hot dogs is good. It's good on a few things. But otherwise, I find it too garlicky, which I know. It's shameful, okay. but that's okay. Uh, for my hot dogs, I really like a over easy fried egg. How many of these foods are you going to rec- recommend an over easy fried egg on? All of them. Is it All just a hundred percent? Because we can just <laughs> that's the thing. Yeah, standing rule: if, if there's a if it's a hand deliverable food, it probably has a fried egg on it. Fair enough. That includes steak. It's hand deliverable. Right. Um, <laughs> The other thing we've been doing, I know we talked about it on the episode where we had Elizabeth, my wife, on, uh, was the uh, um, pasta, shells, and cheese. We've been doing that a lot. That's, oh, that's craft box of, dinner. Not yeah. even craft box dinner. It's the good stuff. Like we we, we do the melty oh. cheese ourselves and stuff. With do you put the hot dog on that? You can. Did you cut the I hot have. dog up like an octopus? <laughs> you, you, I've done that too. That was literally <laughs> just so you could include that image in the write-up of this. Perhaps I will. You can you can also put the uh, the pasta shells and cheese on the hot dog if you want. Yeah, man, yeah. that's that's a match made in heaven right there. Right. You know what I haven't um, done is added that to the Miko Ray. Oh, the the octopus hot dog and the and the mac and cheese. Come on. Yeah, man, you that's should. It's got to be on. good. Yeah, it's got to be good. It sounds insane. <laughs> um, oh yeah the other thing i got was a box of uh breaded fried shrimp for the freezer that now i can have uh, shrimp if i want them i see i actually shrimp. always have frozen shrimp on hand but you probably for have the ramen like, like just regular shrimp they're not fried right yeah no just like frozen peeled cooked shrimp yeah because they're like get some of those yeah they're, they're great in ramen just right at the end because you already have you already have boiling water anyway so yep no i, I get it that sounds delicious as far as uh, easy, easy to consume trash food, uh, the last two 
beer purchases I made were Pabst and um, Natterdays. Oh, and and I have to say that Natterdays are eminently drinkable. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still working my way through. Uh, so the local grocery store here is Giant Eagle, and they had Bogo giant cans of Miller High Life. Nice. So you're still uh, drinking um, spaghetti. Oh man, uh, I, I've actually no more spaghetti ingredients. I just oh. have the high life. <laughs> that was a fresh bottle of Aperol like two weeks ago. Hey man, like so, I, like the ratios are like off. On, online, people were saying like one tablespoon of Aperol, one tablespoon of lime juice to twelve ounces of high life, but I increased it to two of each, and then the high life then three of each that I like. And then I just basically was drinking Aperol and lime juice. So like now I have high life left. Yeah. Well, you can put other things in high life. I mean, like I've put peach schnapps in them. Um, <laughs> you, can, you can, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> I, I, I think you should experiment. <laughs> well, think of, I, think of, have... think of high life as your palate and you are an artiste. <laughs> so I want to I want to back up to the uh, boxed macaroni and cheese. So I've also been spending a fair amount of time in the van when I can, just out in the middle of nowhere by myself. And I have uh, easy way to boil water. So the Annie's, uh No, I have a, a two burner propane stove. Oh, like that's right. Yeah, yeah. Stove. The Annie's uh, shells and cheese are kind of like tier two, and the Cracker Barrel macaroni oh, and cheese in a box I, I knew you were one. Say this. like it is it is phenomenal and i cannot I, disagree more it, it, did you even try it i did i only bought it because of you <laughs> yeah you bought it and, I, you, and then you left it in my pantry for a, a year I, no and then i ate it i ate it because i left with it and i ate it and it is so salty man so anyway I'm, I'm i'm getting to the to the important part so the macaroni <laughs> okay. cheese is only half of the half of the recipe so the other piece is is a it's a dish called macaroni and cheese plus right so you you add something else to it i mean you can add fresh vegetables but there's these like uh seasoned vegetables in a bag called tasty bites and they're kind of like indian spiced vegetables or there's a trader joe's version of them as well all you have to do is put the bag in boiling water so you boil the water for the macaroni and cheese, and while you're waiting for it to boil, you put the bag of vegetables in there. And then when it's boiling, you take it out and you cook the macaroni and cheese, and then you dump the vegetables in with the macaroni and cheese. It's, it's a wonderful meal. Man, that sounds great. Yeah, that sounds good. I would eat that. And so I have a question about van cleanup. Like, are you, are you, how are you cleaning the pot? I mean, I also have a sink. Oh, I it's, see. It's fancy. Listen to this guy. He's got a sink. Man. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's just a gravity fed, right? Like you just uh, pump the handle, and it comes out of a, a Reliance water container in the back. Yeah, we should we should maybe explain that both Josh and Jerry uh, have resided in vans and continue to tour in vans at times. So Live in that hashtag van life. Yeah, they're they're constantly comparing uh, equipment and setup, and they actually have inspired like several other men. people. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that has nothing to do with several van. other people on the team to uh, purchase <laughs> vans and f- forsake reality. In in 2005, I tried to live the sedan life, and I must say that the the backseat of a Volkswagen Jetta <laughs> is not nearly as comfortable as a as a Dodge Promaster. <laughs> Your Promaster seems like it is upgrading from like to like Jeff's house from like a cardboard box on the street corner. Yeah, I mean it was it was like January and February in Toledo, Ohio too. It was pretty cold. Yeah. Maybe we should link the article to that. Do you still have that article? Is it still up? <laughs> oh man. Yeah, yeah. Oh oh yeah. I have the link for it saved in my email. Uh Emily nice. Barnes wrote it. Didn't you go to high school with her? Uh yes. I think yes. I recognize the name. I don't Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> was she Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I remember that. That was a that was a good article. It's uh, forever saved in the uh, Toledo Collegiate Archives. Nice, Jeff. What do you eat? What do you eat in the summer? How have you survived this this pandemic? I I don't really have a very good answer for this. I kind of want to know what you ate when your uh, nephews came over. 
Uh, my nephews are extremely picky eaters, and they accept basically nothing that's interesting. So we had Marco's Pizza. Oh, wow. You didn't even have good pizza. Uh, that's the pizza that they love. So oh. that's the one. The last time they came, Sarah made, I think it was Parmesan-crusted chicken, and they thought that that was weird, and they wouldn't eat it, oh. and it was kind of a dramatic moment. Huh. Yeah, what about, like, I figure these nephews, like, probably, like, I'm going to go back to it again. Hot dogs? Hot dogs? Some of them will eat hot dogs, and some of them will not eat hot dogs. Whoa. Jeff has 13 nephews. <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> I have two nephews and a niece, and none of their interests overlap except for pizza. <laughs> you know, you can form a lot of good relationships on a basis of pizza. I wouldn't worry too much about that. You know what you should do is put a fried egg on their pizza. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now we're talking. That's good. Yeah, it's it has to be like- cheese pizza, though. That's fine. If you take a cheese, like a salty cheese pizza with a fried egg and a drizzle of honey and some basil, hell yeah. I I mean, I think you've entered weird territory. Oh, man. Well, it's a a really good point because you, I mean, you could take a frozen pizza that you like and crack a couple eggs on top of it and throw it in the oven and it'll be fine. Oh, it'll be delicious. Let me tell you this story because a couple of years ago, they came over here for a family party and I was told, oh, the kids will just have chicken nuggets. So I was like, all right, I'll make the kids chicken nuggets. So we bought some chicken nuggets and I made the chicken nuggets the way that I like chicken nuggets, which is basically like I set the oven on convection and I like crisp them up like crazies because I want them to be like crispy on the outside. So they get pretty hot. And my sister-in-law was like, oh no. Oh, you've made them like good. That's not the way that they like them. They want them to be like really just sort of lukewarm. Oh my and god. Cool. Oh. So they had to like uh blow a fan on the chicken nuggets for a while in order to cool them down so that they would be like edible for the children. <laughs> oh my god. So uh yeah, I, all of my efforts are in vain is what it comes down to. Wow. Marco's pizza it is. Yep, Marco's Pizza it is. What about like chips? Chips? Yeah, they're probably chips. Chips are fine. Yeah, I mean, they really like EL Fudge cookies. EL Fudge is uh, a Everybody staple of, of parties at our house because Sarah, um, Sarah... So this is a fun summertime memory for, for Sarah. So she used to go to her grandma's house to stay over and her grandma had a pool. And she always remembers that her grandma had all three flavors of EL fudge cookies. And that was like ingrained in her memory. So <laughs> all of our parties, we have to have EL fudge cookies, but we can't actually find the other flavors anymore. Apparently they used to have chocolate with chocolate filling and also chocolate cookies with white filling. And we can only find the uh, vanilla cookies with chocolate filling. I was going to say, I was not aware that there were three flavors. Yeah. Well, there don't appear to be anymore. So mm. Have you tried? Is this like a Berenstain Bears type thing? Uh, I I don't think so, but I can verify it because uh, maybe Sarah has has Mandela affected these things out of existence or something. I definitely <laughs> I definitely remember the chocolate with chocolate filling. I don't necessarily well, remember the chocolate with white from filling. The same uh, un- alternate universe where Sarah is from, where these existed. Yeah. Amazon does not show them, by the way. I, I've I've looked around, and she has also looked around. And I don't think they. Find do. I, I do like El Fudge cookies. They're delicious. They're they're really good. Like not they gonna are, lie, they're really they delicious. <laughs> um, yeah, we've been uh, we we haven't had uh, carry out food or gone to a restaurant in let's see since March thirteenth, and so we've been making pizza at home, and I have a, a Detroit style pizza recipe that I like. Do you do you do it with your own sourdough starter? I don't, because oh. I I can't form that kind of relationship. I'm not sure how um, how long we'll be around. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I love a good sheet pan pizza. Like, make some yeah, right. Throw it in a sheet pan, and then just like a bunch of cheese sauce and whatever. It's delicious. Yep. And so easy. Yeah, we we do we've done a couple different kinds of pizza, and the the best I think is still the um, the Detroit style because um, I think it gets nice and crispy on the outsides. 
Do you do your own uh, tomato sauce or do you get canned sauce? I've just been buying it. I mean, I could make it. I think it would be easy enough. I'm just kind of lazy. Yeah, I really like the oven. Obviously, it's tough to do in the summer, but the oven roasted tomato sauce is great. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I think it would be doable. I mean, there's partly also we don't necessarily know when exactly we're making pizzas every time. So having stuff on hand is easier to do if it's in a can or in a jar fair yeah but we keep on keeping on someday that's all we can do someday we'll get out of this hellhole that is uh, <laughs> quarantine avec protests I, I like that one of my last uh restaurant outings was with uh jeff mose <laughs> oh. was, was it? it was it a good yeah. one yeah we went jeff and i went to uh the registry oh yeah that's true because you were coming through and that was right yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was great. That's wild. Man, I guess technically that was one of mine too. I, it wasn't with Jeff, but Elizabeth and I went there on our anniversary. And um, <laughs> that's like, we have literally been to a restaurant like four times since then because we just can't go out after having a baby and now living in quarantine. Yep. Yep. It's neat. Yeah, my, I think my actual last restaurant like definitive last restaurant was with Josh Chapel. We went to uh, breakfast. Where was that at? Oh, uh, we went to, I don't remember the name of it, but I, I remember going to Chicago and the start of our trip was, Oh yeah. Uh, I don't know. seems like things are going to be okay. And then the end of the trip was like, uh, wow, this is very strange. We went to yeah. a Grant Ackett's brunch restaurant in downtown Chicago on a Sunday and typically I'm sure there's like a huge wait and we walked right in and sat down and there were like three other tables and there were like oh. a bunch of servers walking around like, what do we do? And that was very, <laughs> very bizarre. Yeah. I was definitely like the, the first time it sunk into me that maybe there's a quarantine going on for real. <laughs> yeah. And I had a, I had a flight out. Uh, from Chicago to Denver at like 5 p.m. And I was like, well, there's a flight at like 1 p.m. So I'm just going to try and get on that. And I went to the airport and they're like, yeah, there's like 150 empty seats on this flight. No problem. (laughs) Do do whatever you want. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, we, you know, we hope that everyone is staying safe and uh, fighting tyranny. And um, (laughs) thanks Thanks for listening to another episode of Serious Vintage. <laughs> Perhaps we'll see you in the uh, um, Team Serious Virtual Realm, where we are endeavoring to play Vintage Unleashed and Middle School and Vintage and some other formats that people have been interested in. I think we'll continue doing those throughout the summer and perhaps for the rest of our lives. Um, Hop on by. Yeah, come visit. We, we need all the company we can get. Are you going to put a link to the Discord invite in in the article? Sure. Snap. Yeah, everyone should just come and play. It'll be fun. It's happened again. You've wasted another perfectly good hour listening to Serious Vintage. I'm Jeff Mose. I'm Nat Mose. I'm Josh Schaffel. And I'm Jerry Yang. And we hope you'll join us next time for more Serious Vintage. After extensive testing, Cyclopean Tomb is now banned. I did build a Mind's Desire deck with one land in it. Did it work? No. Okay. It's my favorite deck, though.